0: that hot, humid summer of 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald had been fired from yet another menial job. He was used to that and getting by on unemployment benefits from the government he detested. Capitalism was awful, he thought, though he gladly took every penny it gave him. In my prior episode, I mentioned that Oswald had been arrested for disturbing the peace after getting into a scuffle with anti-Cuban activists. He spent the night in jail, and the episode made the papers. This led to some TV and radio interviews. Oswald, for the first time in his life, was finally getting some of the media attention he craved. I'm Paul Brandis. you're listening to Countdown to Dallas, a podcast series based on my book of the same title. Oswald was invited to be on a radio show in New Orleans, Latin Listening Post. The host was Ed Stuckey. He began by asking Oswald how big the New Orleans chapter of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee was. Oswald began lying the minute he opened his mouth.
1: Mr. Roswell, uh, if I may, uh, how long has the Fair Play for Cuba Committee uh, had an organization in New Orleans?
2: We have had members in this area for several months now. Up until about two months ago, however, we have not organized our members into any sort of active group. Uh, Until, as you say, this week, we have decided to feel out the public what they think of our organization, our aims. And for that purpose, we have been, as you say, distributing literature on the street for the purpose of trying to attract uh, new members and fill out the public.
0: There were no other members of the New Orleans branch of the Fair Play for Cuba committee. As mentioned previously, Oswald had only written to the organization's New York headquarters recently. Even Marina Oswald knew that the branch of the committee consisted of just one person, Oswald. But Oswald made it sound like it was a lot more than that.
1: Do you have any other activities other than distributing literature at the present time?
2: Well, I assume you mean, do I have any organizational duties myself? Yes. Uh, yes, as secretary, I uh, I am responsible for the... Uh, the keeping of records and the uh, protection of the uh, members' names so that undue publicity or uh, our attention will not be drawn to them if they do not desire it. My uh, duties are, the, are as the duties of a secretary of any organization. Now, our, our organization has a president, a secretary, and a treasurer. Uh, the duties of those people would be more or less uh, self-evident. Those that are my duties, I do not, however, belong to any other organization uh, at all. Are you at liberty to reveal the membership of your organization? No, I'm not.
0: The conversation turned to Oswald's political ideologies.
1: Mr. Oswald, there are many commentators in the journalistic field in this country that equate uh, the fair play for Cuba, for Cuba committee with the American Communist Party. Um... What's your feeling about this, and are you a member of the American Communist Party?
2: Well, (laughs) the uh, uh, Fair Play for Cuba Committee, with its headquarters at 799 Broadway in New York, has been investigated by the Senate subcommittees uh, uh, who are occupied with this sort of thing. They have investigated our organization from the viewpoint of taxes, uh, subversion, uh, allegiance, uh, and in general, where uh, and how and why we exist. Uh, They have found absolutely nothing to connect us with the Communist Party of the United States. Uh, In regards to your question about whether I myself am a communist, uh, as I said, I do not belong to any other organization.
0: Stuckey later pressed Oswald further on the issue of communism.
2: Mr. Oswald, does it make any difference to you if any of the activities of
1: the local branch of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee uh, benefit the Communist Party or the goals of international communism?
2: Does it make any yeah. Well, that is what I believe you, you would term a loaded question. However, I will attempt to answer it. Uh, it is inconsistent with my ideals to support communism, my personal ideals. It is inconsistent with the ideals of the fair play for Cuba committee, could, uh, committee, excuse me, to support the ideals of international communists. We are not occupied with that problem. We are occupied with the problem of Cuba. We do not believe under any circumstances. That in supporting our uh, ideals about Cuba, our pro-Castro, as you call them, ideals, we do not believe that that is inconsistent with believing in democracy. Quite the contrary. We believe it is a a necessity in supporting democracy to support Fidel Castro and his right to, to make his country any way he wants to. Not, not so much the right uh, to uh, destroy uh, us. Of course, we have our, our rights uh, about defense. In other words, uh, we do not feel that we are supporting international communism or communism in supporting Fidel Castro.
0: Throughout the interview, Oswald handled himself pretty well. His denial about being a member of the U.S. Communist Party was technically true. Of course, Oswald made it sound like he had little to no affinity for communism itself. Stuckey, the interviewer, had no way of knowing that the man sitting across from him in the studio, had spent two and a half years in the Soviet Union, had no way of knowing that Oswald had tried to revoke his American citizenship, had no way of knowing that Oswald had written his own family and said that in time of war, he would kill any American. Oswald obviously chose to hide all of this. Listen to this next portion of the interview.
1: Mr. Oswald, I'm curious about your personal background. Uh, If you could tell us something about uh, where you came from, Mm -hmm. your education, Mm -hmm. and uh, your your career to date, we'd be interested.
2: I'd be very happy to. I was born in New Orleans in 1939. Uh, For a short length of time during my childhood, I lived in Texas and in New York. Uh, During my junior high school days, I attended Beauregard Junior High School. I attended that school for two years. Uh, Then I went to Warren Eastern High School, and I attended that uh, school for over a year. Then my family and I moved to Texas, uh, where we have many relatives, and uh, I continued my schooling there. Uh, Then I entered the United States Marine Corps in 1956. Uh, I spent three years in the United States Marine Corps, starting out as a private, working my way up through the ranks uh, to the uh, position of Buck Sergeant. And uh, I served honorably, having been discharged. Then I went back to work in Texas and have recently arrived in New Orleans to, with my family, uh, with my wife and my child.
0: Some real whoppers and lies of omission here. Oswald never rose above the rank of private first class. And, of course, had been busted back to private after his first court-martial conviction. He would be court-martialed a second time as well, as I mentioned in episode three of this series. He was honorably discharged at first, though when the Marines learned of his defection to the Soviet Union, this was changed to an undesirable discharge. And let me play this last part again, where Oswald talks about life after the Marines.
2: Then I went back to work in uh, Texas and have recently arrived in New Orleans with my family, uh, with my wife and my child.
0: Again, Oswald skipped over his defection and life in the Soviet Union. Throughout this podcast, we've established that Oswald lied about, well, lots of things to his family, employers, his own wife. He was a patently dishonest man. Conspiracy buffs who neglect to delve into Oswald's life, his entire life, often focus on the most famous line he ever uttered. It was to the crowd of reporters in the Dallas police station on the night of President Kennedy's assassination. I'm
1: just a patsy.
0: After a lifetime of lies, why should anything Oswald said be taken at face value? That seems like a fair question. He was a patsy. Why? Because he said so? In any case, the interview wrapped up.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Oswald. Uh, Tonight, we've been talking with Lee Oswald, the uh, secretary of the New Orleans chapter of the Pro-Castro Fair Play for Cuban Committee. In subsequent programs, we will present the comments of other leaders concerned with the U.S.-Cuban conflict. Good night.
0: Oswald felt great after the show. He did well. What he did not know, however, was that Stuckey decided to dig deeper into his background and would invite him back four days later on another program.
3: WDSU Radio presents Conversation Cart Blanche, next on Cavalcade.
0: And this time, the format was different.
3: It's time now for Conversation Cart Blanche. Here is Bill Slatter. Good evening. For the next few minutes, Bill Stuckey and I, Bill, whose uh, program you probably heard on Saturday night, uh, Latin Listening Post, Bill and I are going to be talking with three gentlemen.
0: This time, Oswald would be joined, to his surprise, by two men, Ed Butler, an anti-communist activist, and Carlos Bringer, who had confronted Oswald days earlier on the street. Oswald was caught off guard. Butler, on PBS's Frontline three decades later, remembers that evening well. We found out after
1: I had accepted uh, the interview about Oswald's defection to Russia. The information came from the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee files. They sent me the material, I requested it, and they sent it. Where did they get it from? They got it from the newspapers, the open press. That's basically what they sent me,
0: clippings that Oswald had defected to Russia and so forth. And Bringer, the anti-Castro activist, also remembered that evening.
4: Before the debate, we were talking over there for about 15 minutes. And as he saw my guidebook, the guidebook for Marine that he had left for me, he said to me, Carlos, please don't use that guidebook because it's obsolete. You're going to get killed. Meanwhile,
0: Stuckey, who had interviewed Oswald previously, had done his own homework, discovering that Oswald had covered up his defection to the Soviet Union and his affinity for communism.
1: However, there, was, uh, there were a few items, apparently, that uh, I suspect that Mr. Oswald left out of this original interview, which was uh, principally uh, where he lived after, between 1959 and 1962, we, uh, Mr. Butler brought uh, some newspaper clippings to my attention, and I also found some through an independent uh, investigation, uh, Washington newspaper clippings, to the effect that Mr. Oswald had attempted to renounce his American citizenship in 1959 and become a Soviet citizen. Uh, there was another clipping dated 1952 saying that uh, uh, Mr. Oswald had returned from the Soviet Union with his wife and child after having lived there for three years. Mr. Oswald, are these correct?
2: That is uh,
0: correct, yes. Finally confronted with irrefutable proof of his lies, Oswald folded like a cheap suit. It went downhill from there. Here's another excerpt.
3: Mr. Mr. Oswald, I may break in a moment, Uh, uh, I believe it was mentioned that you at one time asked to renounce your American citizenship and become a a citizen of the Soviet Union. Is that correct?
2: Well, I don't think that has a particular... uh uh, import to this discussion. We are discussing uh,
3: Cuban-American relations. Well, I think it has a bearing to this uh, extent, Mr. Oswald. You say, apparently, that Cuba is not dominated by Russia. And yet, uh, you apparently, by your own past actions, have shown that you have an affinity for Russia and perhaps communism, although I don't know that you admit that you either are a communist or have been. Uh, could you straighten out that point? Are you or have you been a communist? Well, I had answered that
2: uh, uh, prior to this program on another radio program. Are you a Marxist? Uh, yes, I am a Marxist.
0: So, Oswald was cornered during that interview, confronted with evidence of his own lies. On this point, indulge me for a second here. It makes you wonder how two murder trials against Oswald for the killings of President Kennedy and police officer J.D. Tippett might have gone if Oswald had been confronted in a courtroom before a jury of his peers with his mountain of lies. With all due respect to conspiracy theorists, there was a blizzard of evidence against Oswald, and we'll keep unveiling it as our countdown to Dallas rolls on.
3: And now back to Conversation carte Blanche. Here again, Bill Sletter.
0: As Oswald was grilled on the radio, Marina Oswald was listening at home, She couldn't understand what was being said, but she later told Priscilla Johnson McMillan that she could tell from the tone of her husband's voice that he was lying. She said that when Oswald came home that night, he seemed dejected. So let's recap here. It's late August, 1963. Oswald is jobless, living on unemployment benefits. He has just been humiliated in public, his lies exposed. His options seem few. Marina says at this point, her husband reached yet again for his rifle. He would sit on the porch at night in the darkness and work that bolt over and over again, sometimes aiming at imaginary targets. He was obsessed with Cuba and Fidel Castro. Fidel needs defenders, he told Marina. I'm going to be a revolutionary. Never mind that he was on the dole and his wife was seven months pregnant with their second child. He wanted to play soldier. More countdown to Dallas right after this quick break. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged
1: Russians turned out in thousands to show the world, and America in particular, that Nikki loves Fidel. President Castro had the red carpet treatment all the way to the
0: Red Square. That's Castro getting a hero's welcome in Moscow in 1963. Oswald, of course, saw the Cuban communist as a hero. He was determined to get to Havana. But how? Days before he left office, President Eisenhower ordered a ban on travel to Cuba. President Kennedy maintained that ban. He just couldn't get on a plane and go to Havana. So Oswald, and this is something that few conspiracy buffs acknowledge, he cooked up an idea to hijack a plane and force it to fly to Havana. Marina told McMillan the story.
6: He said that he would sit in the front row of the airplane cabin she would sit in the back row with June and at a certain point he would put a, a gun in the back of the pilot of the aircraft she would stand up and keep the entire passenger contingent at bay with a pistol and would speak to them and she would speak to the crowd and tell them to be quiet Marina laughed at him and said, well, but I don't speak English. How am I going to explain to them? Eventually, she laughed him out of the skyjacking plan. And he came home one day and said, Mama, I found a legal way. I'll go to Mexico.
0: August rolls into September, and Oswald is now planning to visit Mexico City, where he thinks he can get a Cuban visa. But what about his pregnant wife? Oswald had been wondering about that himself. Remember Ruth Payne, who Marina and daughter June had lived with briefly prior to their move to New Orleans? Here's Payne in 1986 being questioned by Vincent Bugliosi in the mock trial of Oswald.
5: In March of 63, did you learn that Mr. Oswald wanted Marina to return to live in the Soviet Union? Yes, she told me that he wanted her to go back. And during your contact with Marina, did you discern that she did not want to go back, that she liked America,
6: wanted to stay here? She wanted to stay here very much. She did not want to go back to the Soviet Union.
0: That possibility came up again over the summer. More from Bogliosi's questioning of pain.
5: In July of 63, did Marina write you a letter from New Orleans informing you that it looked like she was going to have to go back to Russia?
6: Yes, that's when I actually wrote a letter saying that, that she could stay with me if she wanted to. Did Marina,
5: in fact, come to live with you?
6: Yes. She Was that did. In September of 1963?
5: Yes. Did you drive to New Orleans to pick Marina up?
6: Yes.
0: To this day, Payne remembers how Oswald packed her station wagon for the return trip to Dallas, carefully loading his family's belongings into the back, including some very important personal belongings.
6: Lee had packed things to go on the Greyhound bus. He packed things to go in the back of my car. And I'm pretty sure, looking back, you know, you have to say, okay, where was the gun? How come that was never seen? I didn't know it existed. And I feel that it must have been packed in these two huge um, marine duffel bags that he had that would fit easily with clothing around and so on. And he packed the back of the car for me. had to (laughs) unload it and repack because we had to uh, get a spare tire before we left town. Uh, Anyway... We drove back and uh, then Marina was staying. And, and I think the expectation was that they might be there till maybe uh, at least till the baby comes and maybe as long as till Christmas, till he could get the uh, work and a place for them.
0: Ruth Payne had taken a pregnant Marina and June to New Orleans only months before. Now she was bringing them back to Dallas to her home in Irving. All this activity resulting from Lee's bouncing around from city to city, from job to job. Now he's planning to go to Cuba. When Payne's station wagon drove away, Marina recalled that Oswald was on the verge of tears as they parted. Of her husband, she would later say that he looked, quote, as a dog looks at its master. Watching all this also was the Oswald's landlord, Jesse Garner, who had been having trouble with Oswald for a while. It seems he was behind on the rent. After the assassination, Garner spoke with New Orleans TV station WDSU. Uh, I understand
3: that uh, he moved out uh, rather suddenly. Can you tell us about that?
4: Well, by the middle part of August, May, June, July, August, you see his wife was going to have another baby. And he was late with the rent, and I I went to see about it, and he told me that uh, he'd pay us later. So later on, I sent my husband because he was kind of snotty about it. And he told my husband, he says, well, I'll have to wait a while. He says, because my wife's going to have a baby. And he said, I'm hanging on to what I have to have the baby, you see. So my husband said, well, okay. So then later on, uh, this same station wagon that moved him there, that brought his wife in rather, when he rented the apartment, he was alone. His wife came in two, three days later. And the same station wagon from Texas, the lady that brought him there, came back and they packed the stuff, put it in the station wagon. The station wagon was there for a few days. And I told my husband, I said, they're packing the station wagon. It looks like they're taking everything. So go find out if he's moving. So he did. And he said, no, he wasn't moving. He was only sending his wife to Texas to have the baby. And that night, evidently, he left through the night. Oh, in us rent. he didn't pay us. Just skipped town.
0: When taking the apartment, Oswald had lied to the Garner's, Now leaving, he lied again, stiffing them on the rent as he skipped town. What did he care? He was sure he was on his way to Cuba. All he had to do was go to Mexico City and get a visa. As this episode wraps up, we can't discuss Oswald's short time in New Orleans without acknowledging the cast of characters that swirled about the Crescent City, some of whom, conspiracy buffs are sure, were involved in a plot to kill the president. We'll discuss some of these theories down the road. If you like this podcast, check out my book of the same title, Countdown to Dallas Sound from the PBS program Frontline I highly recommend It's 1993 episode Titled Who Was Lee Harvey Oswald Also sound from the archives Of WDSU Radio and TV And Movie Tone News Our editor and producer Aaron Land Audio engineer Sean Rule Hoffman Executive producers Michael D'Aloia And Gerardo Orlando I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks so much for listening.
5: History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad,